0: Hello everyone, I am Jennifer Braverman and I'm Ellen Selm and welcome to our podcast Stories from the Earth where we explore
1: humankind's relationship and connection with the natural world.
0: This podcast asks the question, what are the many ways in which we can connect with nature in this disconnected society and how can storytelling help us? We invite you to journey with us as we explore nature through stories. These are the stories from the Earth. And we would like to take a quick moment to invite our listeners to consider supporting us through a humble little donation. If you go to our Patreon page, there are options to donate at $1, $5, or $10. The donations will go towards helping us with future projects, such as launching an herbal educational curriculum we've dubbed the People's Herb School, as well as funding to help to take this show on the road and do some on-site reviews and interviews at herb farms and schools and other interesting places relevant to our podcast. Today we
1: welcome Appalachian Trail through hikers and authors Amber and Joshua Niven to discuss their recently published and gorgeous, I might add, book, Discovering the Appalachian Trail. And so as not to assume that all of our listeners know what the Appalachian Trail even is, I will uh, read this tidbit from the intro of the book. The Appalachian Scenic Trail, commonly known as the AT, is the longest hiking only footpath globally More than 2,100 miles long, it roams across woodlands, ridgetops, pastures, and culturally rich towns as it travels through 14 states, traverses eight national forests, and passes through six other units of the national park system. Millions of people visit the AT every year. Thousands set out to hike its entire length from the southern terminus in Georgia to the northern terminus in Maine. And with that, we say hello to Amber and Joshua.
2: Hello. hello happy to be here
0: <laughs> We're glad to have you all right so besides what the title already divulges can you give the listeners a summary of what this book is about absolutely
3: so it is a we like to call it a comprehensive inspired guidebook to the appalachian trail so we take readers through the whole at from georgia to maine but we also do a lot of like intro in the beginning, talking about like the culture and the history and backpacking basics. So there's a lot to get
2: into. It's basically an armchair through hike of the whole AT. And so it's all in sequential order from end to end. And we feature 30 of of our favorite hikes, ranging in difficulty overnights or in and outs for single day hikes. Kind of zooming in on the best parts of the AT and kind of showing you the whole thing. It's got about 14 years of my photography on the Appalachian Trail. Um, I selected from over 25,000 pictures, um, about 500 that are in here, the backbone Mm -hmm. of those being my through hike in 2013. But those 500 sequential images show you the, the trail end to end. We set out to kind of do something that other books on the AT haven't done yet, really showing you all the culture and the people on um, the AT is known as the people's trail. And we really try to um, demonstrate that in the book. We feature a lot of other creatives and people we know who have businesses and do different things that were kind of inspired by their through hikes. We feature them in the book, all the, you know, all the historical figures, all the flora, all the fauna. It is um, it's basically an AT Bible.
1: I thought that that was a really nice touch and also the layout for that reason is so nice like how you have like you set the little stories kind of apart in Mm -hmm. their little boxes and little did you know facts and little boxes it just kind of makes it all visually appealing especially tying in with all of the photography and you more or less just answered our next question which was why that book as opposed to you know because there's already other guides out there that are published and so forth but I was curious too because I thought I had read in there it mentioned that Joshua you have another book published that came out before this one? Was it AT related as well?
2: Yeah, and it wasn't published. It was more of an art piece. Um, So it was just printed on demand through Blurb. Um, When I did my initial through hike, I was doing a project. It was my thesis coming out of photography school called the Through Project. This is kind of what led to me meeting Amber and how we got here. And this is where it kind of all started. But I took me and three other people on trail. We did crowdfunding um, right after I graduated and we uh, through hiked, we carried 15 pounds of camera gear across the AT. I took 15,000 pictures when we were out there and I made a coffee table book basically. And so it was just a print on demand. It was like 150 images in sequential order also that were not with words and stuff. It was really like a um, visual account of the trail. And so I used to print that and sell it alongside my artwork and stuff. Okay. Yeah.
1: This uh, discovering the Appalachian trail is like the official Mm-hmm. publish of uh, the photos with the
0: story awesome yeah, yeah and the photos are amazing just, <laughs> they're just they're just gorgeous Sorry. I can't imagine how hard it was to pick from all of those
2: imposters.
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
2: somehow did it but it was not easy for sure
0: yeah I know you just talked about a little bit of your background but can you tell us a little bit more about your background and um you know how you both discovered the AT, I guess, separately, and then
1: <laughs> and how to bring you together.
0: Clearly, there's yeah. a story there. Definitely.
3: Yeah, the trail definitely brought us together. So I grew up in um, Gatlinburg. The Great Smoky Mountains was my back park and um, or my backyard. And so I grew up hiking along with my dad and mom and family. But he, my dad wanted to hike the AT since he was 13 years old. And at some point, I kind of jumped on his dream. And he he really inspired me to, um, yeah, to try long distance backpacking. We were more of day hiking, um, people. And so in 2012 or something, I decided I was going to go with him and we spent the next couple of years preparing. And then my brother who was younger decided he wanted to go too. So we had to wait till he finished, um, high school along with my cousin. And that's how kind of we, uh, yeah, built the dream. And we set out in 2014 to, to hike. And, um, attempted the thru-hike and had to get off in Virginia, unfortunately. And Josh was before me. His hike was in 2013,
2: I'll let you. Yeah, so um, I, I heard about the AT when I was young from my grandfather. Um, he was talking about Bill Irwin, the the hiker who was blind, who did it. And so it always fascinated me when I was like eight years old. And it was kind of always in the back of my brain. And then when I was a teenager, um, one of my best friends started going out on trail, and he invited us out there. And then I spent all of my summers as a late teen and early twenties doing giant section hikes, um, on the AT and that kind of inspired the project. And then in 2013, we did our project and the following year I built a makeshift gallery trailer and I would travel up to trail days, um, which is the annual kind of get together anniversary for post through hikers, past through hikers and current through hikers, big AT festival. And so I would go there and set up and sell my artwork that I printed and my book and all of that. And that's when actually Amber on her 2014 hike was at Trail Days and came through my booth where I was selling the artwork. Um, And that's when we originally met. Unfortunately, I don't remember that. She remembers it. But the following year, um, the following year in 2015, right? In 2015, um, I was there again selling my artwork. And Amber had an artist collective called the Wander Trees and a Candle Company. And she was selling um other artists goods and her candles and was set up at trail days and she got set up across uh from me and so we were actually where you're set up selling your stuff you're actually on the appalachian trail in the park in damascus and so we met right there on the at and the rest is kind of history
0: there yeah that's awesome just the fate of where your tables were assigned that's yeah that's yeah. awesome exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Amber, you said that you
1: had stopped in Virginia. Were you headed south to north or north to south to north? So you made it about, what, halfway-ish? I was headed
3: north to south. So we started in Maine and I was heading down. So it was like three quarters of the trail.
1: Have you ever, have you gone back to do the other parts since?
3: Yeah, slowly. been like chipping away at um, the rest of it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but now with two littles, it's kind of, yeah way way more to to knock off big
1: miles but slowly yeah what is the thing you both love most about hiking the at that's a great question
2: i mean nine's easy it's always kind of been the same thing it's um this kind of independence like kind of um responsible for yourself alone not that you're actually alone but this whole Mm -hmm. feeling of you know freedom that you get when you're out there i mean it's kind of a you know, it's kind of an American dream kind of deal. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, we have this amazing trail um, that's unlike any other trail in the world. And, it, and it's here and it's kind of, it kind of represents autonomy. I started going out there as a young adult, my late teens, and I've kind of found myself out there and found my independence and my strength and all of those kind of things. And so for me, it really is just, um, I feel like I'm free whenever I'm out, when I actually have time to go on an overnight and actually go out there you know, that's my favorite thing. It's just kind of being autonomous in the um, in the woods and being um, able to do what you want to do kind of thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The, the AT, um, it's just the ability to reinvent yourself when you get out there, especially if you're trying to take on a through hike, which is, uh, yeah, when you hike the entire thing or go out there for a, a long period of time, you know, you claim a trail name and you can, you can be, you can be yourself fully. And it's such a welcoming environment. I think that's the thing that comes to my mind when my favorite thing about the AT is just the people and the culture and this kind of richness, this closeness, this bond that you experience while you're out there, of course, connecting with nature and, and feeling that sense of freedom and that deep connection with um, the natural world. But the people are just right up there, up top for me.
2: And people don't know that. There's a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you don't know, if you just hear about the AT, and that's kind of what we wanted to express in the book, like, especially if you're through hiking, like you don't go out there. You're not alone, really. I mean, yeah, you could have a day where you're kind of alone. Um, but you're gonna see people at the shelters. You have people around you that are your trail family kinda and you're kind of in the same bubble the whole way if you're through hiking. Um it's a little different if you're doing section hiking, especially if you're out of season and the and that kind of thing. But you really encounter a lot of people, you know, any in any part of the AT. You know, when you're through hiking, you get up north into Maine and stuff, there's been so much fall-off of the people who started. To who's actually finishing, and so you do end up in some of those wildernesses up there, pretty much alone for, for a good bit of it. But man, I mean, there's uh, people just don't realize how much the people and the communities around the AT are kind of a part of what you're experiencing, um, even even just in a short section hike.
3: And then if you are in those sections where you're alone, um, there are trail logs. So at every shelter, there's a journal and you get to read, you know, who's come through and how was their day and what are they thinking? And that's something unique, I think, of the AT. I'm not sure if other long trails have trail logs, but.
1: I wonder, are those cataloged somewhere? Like, because I mean, it's been going on for years, obviously. So when one book gets filled up, who goes and collects it and is it archived, or do you A, know?
2: There's no situation. I think it depends on, you know, we, okay. yeah.
3: Yeah, the trail clubs, I'm sure, collect them, mm. whoever is yeah. maintaining that, that shelter. But there's and-
2: so many shelters, so there's no, you know, there's no telling that there's every book all, ever, you know, in any of these shelters yeah. put away. But I'd we like also, to
3: think there is. Yeah, I'd like
2: to think so, too. But we also, at the Midway Point um, in Harper's Ferry, they have kind of an official log of sorts where they actually take your picture and they document you, and then you also assign oh, the book there. So That's, like, the one spot where... I can think of that's like where it's fully efficient. Well, then also at the start or, and at the finish. So Springer Mountain or at Mount Katahdin and Baxter State Park, you've got kind of uh, logs there where they record your you know, your stuff for their...
0: It's
3: for safety purposes,
2: Yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So what is the most challenging thing about the AT or one of the most challenging things?
3: I bet our answer is the same. I
0: don't know. Um,
3: I think, (laughs) I thought it was a given, but um, for me, I think it's the mental game. Um, Again, speaking to like through hiking or some like really long distance um, section hiking, but just if you're going out there to attempt a through hike, the mental game is so hard and was very like unexpected for myself. And I know other hikers too, because you just kind of like get into the the groove and then the groove is just kind of boring after a while or, you know, all your stuff. Comes up, you know, if, if you're trying to run away from something, and you go. A lot of people go to the trail to heal or to find themselves, and if it's just, you know, you and your your feet hitting the trail, the all those the mental chatter can come up. So, for me, that was the most challenging.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think at most for most people, if they're actually through hiking, you know, I mean, the AT is so much more than through hiking. So, um, when I think what's the hardest thing in AT, I mean, I feel like the hardest thing's leaving. Whenever it's not a through hike and then during a through hike, it's mental and it's boredom. I mean, there's a lot of boring miles that you do when you're covering such an expanse, especially when you get into the green tunnel, when you're headed north and you get out of Virginia and it's the dead middle of summer and you walk for 300, 400 miles and basically a green tunnel mental strategies you know, really start coming into play, and you know, on your through hike, you're kind of worried about what's at home and uh, what's to come after trail and um, you know, the money and all that stuff. So kind of just depends on what we're talking about with short hikes. Yeah. It's just like leaving (laughs) (laughs) properly.
3: Yeah. Overcoming your own fears.
1: Piggybacking kind of on that same theme. What are some life lessons that you say that, that you've learned from the trail? so much.
3: I feel like so much. I've taken so much from the trail and I've carried with me through life. Um, I think a big one is the the joy and simplicity. You know, you're out there with just your backpack and just the things that you need. You're getting water from the streams. Like you're making a fire and cooking over the fire. Just that and the simplicity of life and just the resilience that that you gain from being out there and, and overcoming and doing hard things, hiking in the rain or facing bears or whatever it is. And see, I think those are the main things i I took from it, I hiked with my family, I hiked with four members of my family. So it just, yeah, just taking that, uh, the importance of spending quality time with like loved ones is,
2: yeah. Yeah. Valuable. For me, it goes really deep. I mean, I learned everything out there over the years. I mean, in my adolescence, um, just learning confidence and strength and becoming a kind of you know, quote unquote, becoming a man and kind of things that I had a kind of a chaotic childhood. I was kind of lost in my later teens um, and in a bad way. And alongside my commitment to skateboarding, um, my hiking, or these are the two things that are kind of the pillars of my existence and how I've been able to meet Amber and have a family and, um, you know, make a life for us. Um, I kind of figured all of this out on trail. I found all of my strengths and All of my hard ability, uh, confidence and understanding what I can accomplish and all that stuff. I mean, and even with my my through hike with the people I did it with, just interpersonal stuff and like um, working with other people. I had kind of a dramatic through hike. And so I had a lot of personal things with the people that I was with. And um, it was a lot. I mean, I could talk about it for days. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers to my experience on that platform. You know
1: there's the one story in the book about the couple buddies that got struck by lightning and you had a sense that it wasn't good and had hightailed it Mm -hmm. out of there. And they unfortunately, well, luckily they made it out of it. Okay. (laughs) Um, But holy cow, what a, what a thing to happen. I mean, it was kind of a good thing probably to include something like that in the book, just so people can have some, you know, reality checks of that It's not just to stroll through a park necessarily, you know, but yeah, yeah, I guess if that, if that alludes to some of the yeah, personality ch- challenges you encountered. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, you know, that was from a um, uh, section hike when we were younger. So before the stress hit of adulthood, trying to accomplish things. But all of my stories that are in the book that I talk about are all about what not to do on the Appalachian Trail. And so um, it's kind of a common theme with any of the stuff. I guess maybe just naturally the things that stick out in my brain from, you know, all of my thousands of miles out there and years doing it are all those experiences where things got a little hairy. And so all my stories are telling people what not to do, you know, and they're kind of humorous, I guess, in some way. That one was interesting. That was a a scary day. We shouldn't have been trekking out onto an open ridge line um, with no trees in a lightning storm so <laughs> that kind of sums that one up
0: <laughs> you mentioned there's just a lot of time where you're just walking and our kind of really really busy normal everyday lives we don't have a lot of time for a lot of nothing so i it makes sense that it would give you time to think about things that you haven't been able to think about and to process them and i think that's why stuff comes up and and also like why that's really great. Like we just need more of that time in our daily lives, but we don't we don't have it and
2: Yeah, you, you can know. get that out there for sure. I mean, I had to learn how to kind of downshift my personality, um, especially on my through hike. Um just being such like a um adrenaline junkie and high energy person, there's so much I therapy for like learning how to be calm and wait. You're doing a lot of sitting on the roadsides waiting for things mm-hmm. and you're always is, and then you're also waiting to get out and be done to start your life and you're contemplating everything about your life the whole time. And so I didn't really possess those like kind of mental skills sets until I threw right, really, because I don't slow down. And it gave me even though I was moving fast, it kind of was a slowdown, you know,
1: the challenge, definitely uh, more so probably. I and mean, I don't know, it's probably been a challenge for humanity since humanities existed but i feel like it's probably more of a challenge in 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 our century to uh learn how to be alone with yourself well i guess that's where you were talking about amber the the mental aspect of like people probably quit just because they feel like they're driving themselves crazy you know like that's
2: yeah it's hard
1: yeah yeah
2: happens a lot yeah and
1: it's and
3: kind of speaking to what josh said earlier you start thinking about like what am i doing like you're out here for three months four months five months and and you start wondering like should i be doing something else like is this productive the way that like our society is now Mm -hmm. it's that kind of crept into my mind of like oh wow like am i having too much fun like (laughs) because it is a luxury to be out there for so long And, and especially like i was so grateful that i was able to like save up enough funds to to be able to have a little bit more, um, I don't know, freedom like in towns and stuff. So yeah, it gets to a point where, yeah, your, your mind is constantly being like, you should be going back to work now. This is, this is enough.
2: A good point. Like, um, just, I guess advice for people who are thinking about doing something like this. I mean, for the most part, the people you get on trail are within those transitions in life. Like the only reason I was able to pull it off is because, of the fact I was leaving college and I hadn't started everything. You know what I mean? And then like you have all these people who are in those kind of early life transitions who find that moment to be able to go and spend six, seven months on trail um, and do it. Or you have these people who are later in life and you know, now they're not focused on their career and, um, and now they have that space where they're able to do it, doing it in the middle and being out there is super hard. Like, you know, especially obviously if you have a kid or anything or career, it's next to impossible and kind of that middle zone to do it. There are people doing it, but they're super fortunate people. You know what I mean? So.
0: Well, you can always just do a section though as well. And, and yeah. that's really great because for, for me, like, I think it would be really difficult to, to do a, a through hike. Um, I have some health issues, but I could definitely do like an hour or yeah. so. And I was really lucky in, in camp one year. They're like, you're going hiking and I'm like, okay, I've never been backpacking or anything. And that was my first experience. And we went for a whole week and it was just like, whoa, (laughs) it was quite an experience. I learned how to like be aware of where my feet were and all that stuff. Cause you're just like, you're, you have to move a little differently. And, um, and my backpack was broken and I didn't know about it. So I was like, yeah, because you you know the weight's supposed to sit on your hips. Yeah, that was broken, so everything was on my shoulders, exactly. and they didn't catch that, and I didn't know because I was like so. You're a dragon. So <laughs> green, you know, and that's why I was in the back. But the the one of the counselors are like, we're a little worried about you. and I'm like, uh, I Discovered that, and then it was too late. It was broken.
2: So you're I, carrying a sack of potatoes on your back.
0: Yeah, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Is that what supposed to be? But it was quite experience. And we were supposed to do like a solo at the end, like one night or two nights. It was, that that was it. Like they just put us all sort of in a little, their own little spot. Wow. Um, like a and um, Yeah. Huh? Like a vision quest? <laughs> not, not exactly, but we were supposed to be alone. And we all, f-
2: <laughs> was this we in all North- failed. We all failed. Was this in North Carolina? Yeah. What camp was it? Eagle's Nest. Okay, cool, sweet.
0: Have you have you heard of Eagle's Nest? I've heard of that one,
2: but I don't. I can't remember. Is that is that the one in in the Piedmont, like down um down near Lake Wiley? Am I crazy or was it in the mountains?
0: I think it's in I think the was mountains. hiking in the
2: mountains, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I, well, we, d- we had to drive. I, it was a um. Yeah, the camp was fantastic. Cool. The camp was um, amazing, and I was very fortunate to be able to go.
2: We're camp people, so these are the questions we ask. <laughs>
0: oh, okay, yeah, no, fantastic food, amazing. <laughs> Although this was like many years ago, but um, I, I would definitely recommend that camp to to anyone. It was it was I went two two years, and it was both an amazing experience. And I'm very just fortunate that my brother and I were able able to go. When you were talking about the mental and being alone, I had previously really found that difficult. Now I find it easier that I'm older, but Um, And so when we did the solo, it was just, it was really hard.
2: Something I've noticed too about being alone is like when you're young and you're at camp, I did the camp thing, had some crazy outdoor experiences and I had a hard time being alone as a youth also, but I think it has a lot to do with now. It's so easy because it's like we have work to do. You know what I mean? It's like when you finally have that time that you're alone, um, especially when you're forced to be alone or you have the extended periods of alone time, if you're in the woods for a day or two or whatever. Like there's work to be done because we all have our stuff, you know what I mean. When you're a kid, when you're in your adolescence and stuff, it's like you just want that stimulation, and it's like there's no work to be done, you know what I mean. Maybe for some people who are super, um, you know, in tune and uh, Introvert. introverted, maybe they already are working on stuff at a young age. But now I find any alone time is just like, yeah, yeah, work time, I guess.
0: Oh, can you? Sorry, can you guys hear my cat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, meowing like a crazy man. He's Okay. Just, a little. just a little okay well he's 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 wanting food early he gets it happens he gets special food at certain times and sometimes he can't he's like i want more food now i want it
3: anyway,
0: <laughs> yes he's not he's not deprived but <laughs> he's acting like it he just acts like it yeah <laughs> What is your um, best advice for newbies setting out on the trail? Someone who's completely new,
3: someone that's new to hiking, or someone that's new to through hiking, or I guess, I guess both,
0: maybe
2: both. Doing an overnight trek, somebody. Yeah. Would-
0: yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Whether it's one night or, you know, 100 nights.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think equipment is important. Just like the basics, making sure you have what you what you need. And I always uh, recommend just going to like a local outfitters and, and a lot of times they'll, they can do um, pack shakedowns mm-hmm. where you can lay out. they'll go through your pack. You can tell them like, Hey, I'm, this is where I want to go. Um, this is what I have, like, do, what do I need? What I don't need. So that's always nice and available at most outfitters, I would think, um, especially along the AT. Yeah. And making sure just planning, like logistically, making sure you have like a shuttle arranged, or if someone's going to pick you up, like the, the car situation, going to the the forest service websites, making sure there's no trail closure. So like those kinds of things. And then I guess, um, speaking on like the through hiking side, I always like to recommend that people know that their, their intention of like, why they're going out there. That would help me if I had more of a clear goal of like, what am I what am I trying to accomplish with this, even if it's just like having fun or connecting with nature and just to really kind of get in into up level your experience in like a deeper way. You know, those are kind of my, my key things.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, um, most of my stuff is technical stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my kind of three go-tos in this, um, is a, you know, be prepared unless you're going for a short trip and you know, exactly what the weather is prepared to be wet while you're hiking period. People think when they're going out, they need to have these ginormous logging boots on and be walking around with super waterproof shoes. If it's not dead middle of winter, I, it's quite the opposite. You want to have the most breathable shoes that can take on any water because those shoes will dry overnight. The others will not. And also big heavy boots drag you down. Your The structure of the way your ankles work and your feet, people think that having laces all the way up to your, you know, halfway up your shin is going to help you not roll your ankles. It's actually about the base of the shoe itself and the width of the, the heel, not kind of overdoing it in the feet world. Um, is important and prepared to be wet when you're hiking. But going along with that is your sleeping bag and your clothes, what I call your comforts, what you're going to have at the end of the day, always in the middle of your pack, you know, maybe kind of obvious, but, you know, as long as you're prepared to be wet while you're moving and you have all of those things in the dead middle of your pack, um, you're going to be okay, like no matter what. And then the third thing for me is paying attention to what other people are doing. Everybody's different. I have to focus on my feet hundred percent of the time when I'm in the woods cause I have feet problems. I know people who can throw on a pair of Nike dunks and never look at their feet once and carry 50 pounds and never even think about it. Um, and especially when it comes to staying dry while you're hiking, even though you're going to be wet, just other people's techniques, small umbrellas, things of these nature, this nature, all these little details. It's all about paying attention to what other people are doing because th- that's how you're going to learn when you're around people, especially if you're starting a thru hike, look to the people who seem to be focusing on things you're focusing on and um, paying attention. Because it all seems kind of simple, but there's just so many tricks of the trade and so many little details that really can make the difference for whether or not you're comfortable when you're in the wilderness.
1: And it's nice to not have to like feel like you're going out and reinventing any wheels.
2: Yeah. yeah <laughs> totally.
1: Totally. Yes, a lot has been figured out.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, I'll also add to let someone know where you're going, um, someone responsible. And um, maybe brush up on leave no trace principles. you can go to leavenotrace.org I think, and that we have them in our book too. It's just outdoor ethics. of actually how to recreate responsibly, yeah. What to do with your waste and good stuff like that.
1: Speaking from your experience, would you recommend that uh, people would get more of a full AT experience by through hiking the entire thing or dividing it into segments and Knocking it out over a longer period of time? Is there like, what would you say the reasoning or benefit to one over another could be?
3: So I would say it definitely depends on the person. Um, There's trade-offs to both. If you get the call to want to section hike the AT, then you, or to through hike the AT, then I don't think you're going to be satisfied with section hiking it. But you can absolutely get a full experience section hiking it too, because you're going to go through all the same places. You're going to see the people. You're going to stay at the shelters. And I know that's kind of like a, not a really an answer, but... um
2: Well, I'll, I'll piggyback on yeah. that. Like, for me, I've done both extensively. Um I do two to four weeks every summer, you know, between the ages of 19 and like 24 or 23 or something. I think... With a through hike, a lot you have to miss a lot of stuff when you through hike because you have a window, you have to get to Mount Katahdin before October 15th. They close it because snow starts coming on Katahdin, and so you know, you got if you're not going fast enough, and because you you, you you know, you start in early March or the end of February, if you do it at the end of February, it's too cold. I was waist deep in the Smokies and snow, um, three weeks into my hike or two weeks into my hike or whatever it was. Um, mm-hmm. you got pretty major winter to start with, and then you're ending with it winter kind of don't be coming and so you do have a window and you got to miss a lot and make a lot of decisions and and there's a lot of just hiking through things fast because you got to stay on schedule um you know experiencing it in that way um is great Um, but it almost in my opinion you can kind of experience more doing large sections because you can kind of get the best of both worlds you can be slower and kind of take it in more you got people who go out there, you'll be on trail with who are doing it in five months or less, who are basically carrying 23 pounds and they're running the whole time. They're not seeing anything. You know what I'm saying? They're they're hiking 25 plus miles a day or whatever, you know, 20 to 28 miles or whatever it is um, that those high, high level hikers are doing that are lightweight. And I mean, they're missing a lot. They're seeing a lot, but they're missing a lot. And you're not really, you know, smelling the roses as you're going in that way. I think two to three weeks in the middle of the summer is like the ideal get the experience in my opinion
3: yeah and i'll add to that the the founder the the visionary of the appalachian trail benton MacKay, never intended for people to hike it from end to end and it would always annoy him when he would hear about people like counting miles or making it about a competition um he actually didn't even like the word hike he liked the word walk speaking of the full at experience in that sense then yeah going out for for a walk on the at would be his recommendation.
1: Speaking of Benton Mackay, I know that there's things like the Trail Days Festival you were talking about and Good Samaritans you meet along the way, aka the trail angels you speak about in the book, the kinds of things that help the hiker out along the way. But did you notice, is there much evidence of Mackay's original vision along the trail in terms of like the camps he mentions? like? I just thought, like, what an awesome idea that is, that one could just be strolling along and come across, you know, encampments in the forest dedicated to, like, nature schools or farming. Like, is there anybody doing any of that along the trail?
3: I think there's a couple hostels that kind of have their own little homesteady thing. There was one that I didn't stay at that I just heard of. No, no, not really to his full vision. I I stayed at like a lady's house in in Maine who was like farming. And I remember thinking like, oh, this could be kind of what Benton was talking about being able to like get off trail. And she was just one lady at her, you know, that would welcome through hikers, but she had this organic farm and chickens running everywhere. And that was my kind of first experience to, to like someone homesteading. And so I could see how that could kind of like be what he was wanting to introduce people to. When I read about his like original vision, I read into it more of like a, like a, where you we could go
1: more intentional. Yeah. yeah
3: like, like more of like a summer campy type thing. But I think that is starting to happen organically. Maybe not intentionally. But I know that the PC is like, is very, um, uh, is, is focusing more on seeing his original vision come to life.
1: I, uh, first time I had gone to, my family's gone to Damascus a few times to so like ride the Virginia Creeper Trail and one of the times we were there we actually happened to just be there during trail days so that was fun a little chaotic yeah we're like wait this is a little town where did all these people go bro yeah. i remember even just riding on the creeper trail there's a section of it where it's coming back down into the town where you start to get into where you can see some people's homes like just off the trail and it's like oh how cool is that that this is like your backyard kind of thing and yes. i started to just envision like this whole like wouldn't it be great if we could just all live in little villages like this again where you just had to go up a little dirt path to the community farm and this and that so it's like it's communal but we're we, you know everybody has their space but they're also doing things together and all this and then, i don't know just very much more like you know i don't know medieval or robin hood-esque times and so when i had read that in your book Mackay's idea to have like the, the as you would be going along the trail you would come into these encampments where there was things going on like if that was like somewhat consistent through the whole thing which it sounds like might have been his original vision like that would just be so cool <laughs> well
2: it's, yeah. it's happening in some towns like hot springs where we live um we're right here in between Hot Springs and Marshall. They're both equidistant from us out here in the woods. Um, you know, That's a good example of kind of where that's taking the place on some level. He had a vision about connecting all these towns also as this being like a corridor to connect all these places. And in that way, it's, still, it's happening a lot pretty naturally. You do get that experience um, in a handful of places throughout the trail. That's ATC's focus right now is actually doing that. They're going into some of these trail towns like Damascus and they're putting in their community center and then they are um, they just put a brand new community center in or headquarters, I guess you call it, at, in Damascus. Um, and so they're trying to see through his vision on that front a little bit. You got a lot of towns along the AT, but only so many of them are like on the AT. Right.
1: And,
2: and so yeah. they're working towards that right now. I think that's what their, um, their mission statement is at the moment.
0: Yeah. Awesome. It's cool that even though maybe some of the vision hasn't been completely realized yet, that a lot of it had been know it, it took a long time but he had such an idea and it actually came into reality and now we have this amazing thing which i just grew up taking it for granted you know just i was like oh yeah i know this trail is dd blah, blah 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 yeah
2: yeah and you grew up like 30 miles from it so yeah
0: like... and then we have the blue ridge Parkway, where you just hop on the parkway and there's trails off of it so it's just it's just something that's always sort of been there, although like my family's from New York, so a small part of my life, I I was in the city. I always think that's just amazing when when someone has an idea and they can take it through this process of um, you know actually making it happen and. Yeah,
3: <laughs> um, The guidebook that we use is called the AWOL guidebook. It does a really great job of it has the all of your little points, you know, where you get your water and whatnot. But then every so often, every couple of pages, it will be a map of a tra- the trail town. And then it will list like post office and like services that you need. But um, some of them have like trail angels that will come and pick you up and you can come stay with them. So I feel like that's kind of a cool like way to see that vision too.
0: So besides... What seems obvious like shelter and a sleeping bag. What are your most important or favorite pieces of gear that you you can't do without on the trail?
2: Number one for me forever is my small AM FM radio, crank radio, that has the NOAA on it for weather. It's a nostalgic piece of my history on the trail. We always hiked with crank radios when I was younger. It's cool to be able to just tune in to whatever's out there and, and have that at night when you're sitting by the campfire you know obviously spend time listening to nature and watching the stars and everything but i love those crank radios they always have a flashlight on them they're solar charged they're small you can just sit there and just wind it while you're sitting by the fire and um that's actually how i discovered 887, and kind of how i ended up in this region living here is when we were younger going out on trail and we'd be sitting around the fire drinking whiskey and pull out the crank radio and you turn on 88.7 in the middle of the night and it'd be some crazy show they used to they used to be a little bit more out there i think with their late night um uh, (laughs) shows and whatnot but that was like a memory i always held on to and always kind of been connected to that radio station which i love so much celtic winds on sunday morning we live 30 minutes from a grocery store on the side of a mountain we're basically on the at out here and when i'm out here doing yard work or working on the house or doing anything Pulling that radio, even at home, I use that radio constantly when I'm in the woods, just listening to 88.7 or whatever. So kind of not a hiking thing, but kind of it's that everybody's got that thing, you you know, your book, right? A lot of people, you know, carry a book, um, have that one thing that kind of gives you luxury the, item, that, that lu- yeah, it. luxury item. And then second to that is my uh, lightweight hiking umbrella for obvious reasons.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. They make these really small, awesome uh, hiking umbrellas. Gossamer gear makes
1: fun. much, much better to if a storm just springs upon you than having to like wrestle on your rain gear. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And after so long, the rain gear doesn't work.
2: Yeah. You, that's why just like gets- rain gear, rain gear doesn't work. Okay. Like if you're actually hiking in the woods, rain gear is going to do nothing for you but make you sweaty and then you're wet anyways, <laughs> yeah. at least for me. Um, I'm always carrying weight and moving fast. Um, even if I'm not, I mean, I'm going to be sweating. So I like the umbrella because you can basically just be in the summer months, like be in your, t-shirt that's water wicking in your shorts and then at least if you have the umbrella above you it's uh, relieving that sensation of cold water hitting you constantly and so then you can really still get a lot of miles done your feet are soaked everything's soaked but that's cool because you got your comfort clothes in the middle of your pack with your pack cover on and they're going to be perfectly dry whenever you get to where you're going and if you need a snack you can turn your pack around and squat down with your umbrella above you operate the top of your pack where your brain's at and stay relatively comfortable so that's kind of my technical gear piece that I think is always worth having.
3: Yeah, my luxury item is a journal. I can't go anywhere without my journal. And I guess second to that would be um, I use the spot like GPS tracker just to mm-hmm. get like a little peace of mind. Now, especially having kids, it feels good to yeah have that.
1: Looking back at your experiences, is there anything that you would do differently now? Any kind of sort of you live and you learn moment that's
3: there's no, there's no time for all
2: that <laughs> <laughs> yeah really
3: that's another one we could go oh god so far into <laughs> yeah. I know yours because we talk about it a lot
2: well that'll make this uh, quicker and easier you tell, tell them that. the
3: um, planning out food and and doing food better if we're talking about through hiking is that what we're talking about
1: yeah let's we'll put it in that context maybe that'll help rein in oh, the
2: answer please i don't know yeah that's well that's kind
3: of would be mine too i didn't a food would definitely be yeah planning out food better because i relied on although now that i'm saying this i probably would i relied on stopping into these little towns and doing the the rice sides and like all the stuff that was full of sodium and sugar and uh snickers and pop tarts and like all of this bad food um so i'd probably plan out my food better and do more mail drops maybe or and, and take better notes especially after writing this book and realizing like, i wish i had better notes um to yeah to look back on as far as yeah what i'm seeing rather than just like i'm feeling tired and sore
2: Everything I did wrong on trail during my through hike is what's led me to be who I am now. Yeah. I made, I brought, probably brought an extra person I didn't need to bring with me on my through hike that was a part of the project that caused me, um, I didn't enjoy a lot of my through hike because we were running out of money. We didn't crowdfund enough money. We thought we had n- enough money. We didn't have enough money. Internal conflict with my rider, many things that caused my hike to be incredibly stressful with the looming. Um, financial aid kicking in with uh, me thinking this was a project that was going to kind of push me in the direction I needed to go, which it did um, at the end of the day. There was a lot of struggle after my hike. Um, I survived the last two months of my through hike on $50 a week um, that my stepdad was sending me. And so I had to split from my guys and give up all my food because I didn't want to be around one of my people anymore towards the end of my hike. And But this led to me meeting one of my best friends and the um, godfather of our daughter as a result of that in these conflicts taught me how to be a business owner and how to deal with people and you know, all these different things. And so my story and my regrets are like crazy layered intertwined. intertwined but again, it's like, it's all, I can't really regret any of it. Although I would have done a lot of it differently if I were to do it now, for sure. But it's, you know, part of the, part
0: of the journey. Mm-hmm. So besides working on your book, what all have you been up to since you hiked the AT? of. What do you do besides hiking? <laughs> yeah. Uh, having kids is
3: <laughs> what we've been up to. <laughs> really. Um. Yeah. Having kids, uh, doing the mom thing, writing, yoga, yeah. getting our homestead up and running.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a bunch. I um <laughs> I have a, a local business to Western North Carolina. Um, I'm a fine art reproductionist. Asheville Fine Art Printing is my company that we run here from the homestead. I photograph people's artwork, reproduce them on canvas, your watercolor prints, all your g-clays. I run a sticker machine. And so I service a, a huge portion of our artists here in Western North Carolina for all of their, um, you know, reselling artwork needs. And so we have that. And then I'm a member of a nonprofit in Nashville, um, the Asheville Skate Park Foundation, or Skate Foundation, rather. We have a community-built skate park in the River Arts District called the Foundation Foundy. And so I do a lot with the community with crowdfunding, raising money for building ramps, and then um, our nonprofit is responsible for coordinating the um, renovation that just took place at the Food landscape Skate Park downtown. And We got a $200,000 grant from the city to redo that part. We're well, not redo oh, it, wow. we had to it, fix it up. They actually got us another 30 grand for a mural project where the whole thing got painted by local artists. Wow. So when we're basically, our mission statement is just to bring these safe spaces for children to have a positive outlet. And we're hoping to have um, skate parks in small form and large form built into, you know, some of our less fortunate parts of Western North Carolina and places that need it. And yeah. That's what I'm doing. Me and two of my friends have built our entire new home that we've been working on. So we got a lot going on actually uh, about it a little bit.
1: What are things that help you stay feeling grounded and connected to the natural world during your daily life? And conversely what helps you reconnect into quote unquote normal life after your, coming off the trail?
3: Well, daily life, uh, my kids do a really good job at that. You have to be in the present moment. Um, Outside time is fun because they're looking at things with these little eyes of wonder. So they always stop me. The other day we saw a luna moth and that was like the whole day talking to the luna moth and like learning about the luna moth and learning about the bees. And so like, I feel like I'm hyper focused on, um, yeah, the, the living natural world. And so that Definitely helps me stay grounded. And then, as far as the well, you, what what about you? How do you stay grounded daily?
2: I mean, we How have well. World? I mean, I'm I've spent the last five years of my life trying to carve our mountain out for our homestead. Our property goes from like 2,000 feet to 3,000 feet, and so it's a steep steep mountain with a lot going on and a lot of driveway and a lot of things going into trying to um, get us established here to be able to live comfortably. And so I just I spent so much time on our outside doing that stuff. and we're dealing with a bear right now, and we're always dealing with raccoons and all the things that come with living out here. And so I'm naturally just grounded through all of that and building our house. I mean it's um it's a full commitment, living thirty minutes from the grocery store and uh, and being in this place we're at. And so I'm constantly being I just naturally brought into it all the time dealing with our stuff here. I work in my studio here and then, you know, three times a week, Amber and I fly into town to, I have a satellite location in chief Joe's art stuff where I meet my clients for the printing company. And so it's this constant, like in and out kind of deal. And so um, we're kind of immersed here. And then I go into reality and deal with the clients, drop off all the artwork and then back up the mountain. So that's kind of the, kind of the way we do it.
1: What was the second part of the question? Oh, how do you reorient back into that sort of thing when you're, once you're coming off the trail? Like back into the grind, citizen. white white knuckle
2: it,
3: <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't even. Yeah, acclimating acclimating to to real life is a challenge. I think people, um, people, and lots of good yeah day hikes and I don't even know how to answer that question. But Just to get yeah, oh, one foot in well, front of the other,
1: into it. <laughs> yeah good question one day you're just like oh okay i guess i've reintegrated now (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah, it's a weird thing i remember like speaking about like the the through hike like driving in the car was really weird like the ride like from the trail to, to the home i was like whoa we're moving so fast and i'm like looking at the mountain range and being like god that would take us days and it is a yeah it's a weird thing from yeah, being out in the woods for so long and then coming back, coming back home. It's almost kind of sad because now when I'm thinking about like our, like our weekend adventures we take out and that you do just, you just click right back in so fast. And it's like, oh, here we go. We're like switching gears, switching. Yeah, it is just like switching gears on a bicycle almost.
2: We're talking hiking, like um, doing any trips that are over, you know, three or four nights. Your acclimation usually involves food.
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> lots of eating. Yeah.
2: You kind of acclimate pretty quickly because you're kind of just uh,
1: dreaming
0: of what your meal will be when you re-enter the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there was one part in the book where the guy had his, like what he was eating. Oh my gosh. Do you guys remember? I'm sure you remember that part. Oh, that was that was fun.
3: One of someone's stories.
0: Yeah, it was someone's story and and it was like it takes us a lot of calories to to do the hike so even though like it seems like a lot of like it was like peanut butter and oh my gosh i wish i had like
2: yeah we have a bunch of stories in there i'm trying <laughs> to i'm trying to pick apart to think of the-
0: a lot of peanut butter Check too it. there's a picture Check of my
3: with peanut butter and fluff
0: that was so uh, maybe that was that was it it's just like this is a, a trail meal and it seemed like kind of if you were eating it not hiking, it would be really, really strange, but oh, yeah. yeah, like you need all these calories to, to do yes. hike.
3: Yeah, you do, yeah, you do what you have to to get the calories in.
2: Yeah, it's impossible to keep up with the calories when you're in a full blown through hike. Um, nearly impossible.
3: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why I was like second guessing my mail drop, uh, looking back thing. I'm like, oh, I probably would just be eating any- everything inside anyway. Yeah,
2: and there's a lot of tendonitis from people not eating enough meat, and um, oh you know, you got to really be on point, just depending on how you're hiking. Some people, it just depends on how fast you do it, how much weight you're carrying and, and your body and your body and all these details. And like, you got a lot of people get taken off a trail for tendonitis. And, um, I'm, I'm under the impression just from learning over the years that has a lot to do with protein intake and um
1: everybody's going to carb heavy with the pasta side dishes and
2: when we go into town for resupply that first night back on trail we're carrying pork dinner lines we're carrying cheese we're carrying cheese we're carrying things that we'll consume in the first 24 hours um that we know that weight will disappear quick but we can have that you know heavy protein intake meal that i you know not everybody's a protein eaters but you know um for someone like myself when you're exhorting that much effort and carrying as much weight as we were which was too much weight compared to the average through hiker
1: because of doing all the camera equipment yeah,
2: yeah yeah and i'm just we i i prefer to carry everything i'll need um opposed to being light but i've always had a camera with me so i'm always carrying heavy it just is what it is you know one detail for that is rehydrating things like summer sausages and like um you know uh what do you call it like um like salamis, you know, carrying whole salamis, you can get you can get time out of that, and you can slice those up and cook them in the pan before you cook your ramen, and kind of um, you know turn it into something that's kind of desirable that won't rot. If you need meat, but it's really hard to have meat and stuff multiple days. You know, those dehydrated meals are, are full of the expensive ones, even are so full of so much sodium and they taste horrible. And like,
3: that's what know, trail mix comes
2: in. Yeah, yeah trail mix. I mean, yes. I did a lot of cooking ramen with. You know, just bunches of the nuts in it and stuff, and doing that kind of thing, and you know, slicing up some salami in it. Yeah.
0: Has someone ever made like a trail cookbook? Oh, oh yeah. yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh,
0: yeah. 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 There's a lot of trail foodies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I was thinking yeah. that's got to be a thing.
2: Yeah, but hardly does any of that, for the most part, kind of apply to somebody through hiking.
0: Usually. Oh. Yeah. Yeah,
2: They're you look- gotta
3: be. You're very limited with you gotta be packable and, uh, yeah, lightweight. well you don't have to be but basically
2: most through hiking recipes are the thousand different ways to cook ramen really (laughs) or or (laughs) you you how to a thousand ways to use a tortilla shell
1: i've thought it for a while that it's such a shame that so many of the um instant meal you know camper friendly like they're aimed towards campers meals are like you said they're so salty or like overdone in one flavor note mm-hmm. even though you read it and there's like tons of ingredients and you think oh great this is gonna be a whole meal and then it'll only taste like cumin or something <laughs> like that it's just like how is it that after all this time people have not gotten this right oh gosh it would make everybody's lives a lot easier
2: I will say, uh, just because it hit me, you know, one thing, though, that you can find, I think even Nancy East, who's a great uh, resource for, um, she's a guide in the Smoky Mountains, um, and she's kind of a kind of notorious, first responder, responder, notorious author of hiking, Um, and I'm pretty sure she provides some of this information on her website, but a lot of people do have tons of meals and recipes where you're dehydrating stuff. And so that is the one area and space you where like there are cookbooks for dehydrating things and you can go so extensive with dehydrating meals.
0: I'm just not a fan of
2: dehydrated food in general. So I, even if it's the best dehydrated meal in the world, doesn't necessarily meet my needs hundred um, percent, unless it's like a super gnarly rice dish that's got everything in it, you know, but there's a million resources out there for dehydrating, you know, the sky's the limit on how awesome your food could be if you're dehydrating it yourself, you know, so yeah there's that.
3: Yeah. And that's a good point. It Reminds me going back to some of our other questions about your favorite thing and life lessons, hiking, backpacking specifically really requires you to be very mindful. And Jennifer, you were kind of speaking about that with the hip belts and like in feeling your body and like, and it just, you're constantly checking in with yourself and making sure, do I have enough water? And Josh was talking about like the diet and how that affects your body. And so, um, yeah, I think that is definitely one of my favorite things about about backpacking and how it yeah, connects you with yourself
0: too yeah like sort of learning how to do that in a in a way that i know our day-to-day daily life doesn't sort of allow us to do that but it's very important mm-hmm. yeah that's cool
1: i uh made a little side note here to myself that i had to laugh at your little did you know tip on page 169 where you mentioned that the Total elevation gain across the entire Appalachian Trail hike is the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest 16 times, and I was like, "Oh man, I don't know if you should have put that in that book." <laughs> <laughs> it's not a selling point. It kind of makes it sound way more. Exo- I mean, I could see why it would also make some people be like, "Whoa,
3: yeah, yeah."
1: Like it's a lot of people like that. competition factor, but like, oh man, yeah. Like I'd rather not want to. <laughs> it's a lot of up. Yeah, it's gnarly.
2: It's a lot of up.
3: A lot
2: of down. Not <laughs> hard on the joints. Yep, yep, yep. And, and, and for me, in my opinion on the trail, is that the hardest hiking you do on the Appalachian Trail are, is in the southern states. As soon as you hit Georgia, you're getting beat up. In North Carolina, Tennessee um, is some of the hardest hiking because we have just the gnarliest up and down scenario. Up north, things start mellowing out. And although you'll kind of climb bigger mountains, you're kind of hiking to that mountain than climbing it. Opposed to what you do a lot in the South is just go up and down, up and down, up and down. And, you know, you can you can hit like I don't know what the actual number is, but you can do like seven, 10 summits in a day or something weird in the South in some places. Or I I don't know if that don't quote me on that number, but it's like more summits than you'd expect in in a day's worth of hiking.
1: You think Is that why people tend to start? south and because i would think like well if it sounds like if you're fighting time and the snows it makes sense to start north and go south but based on what you just said it almost like oh that's why you would want to start south and go north when you have more energy start with the up downs
2: well honestly that's actually to our detriment i think in the trend because um you actually would actually warm up to hiking better starting in the north the fall off rate in georgia to north carolina is insane with how many people actually start within a week or off trail because you just get it handed to you immediately but i mean most people i think the trend to go from the south to the north just has a lot to do with like how vast up north is and how insane katahdin is springer mountain ain't that great it's kind of just a hill in the woods but there's Amaclola falls and there's a sweet waterfall system and these stairs you gotta hike and there's cool stuff and you know, there's all that, but I think that
3: nothing beats Katahdin. Nothing That's beats like Katahdin. The Grand
2: yeah. of so it's like always. and nothing beats New Hampshire, in Maine, in Vermont, and it's like if you start in the south and like you kind of get to hike to that gloriousness. Even though for me, the most fun part of the Appalachian Trail, just to have a good time, is between North Carolina and the end of Virginia. The most fun, the most water, the most everything, in my opinion, is in that that region. But the views and just how epic it is up there is something to kind of push towards. And so I think that's how it's kind of ended up that way. I'd guess like 90% of through 90 to 95% of through hikers go from.
3: Yeah. I think it's 90. Yeah. I yeah. think 12% are something um, like that. South, yeah. Attempting. South so hikers.
2: like 89% of all hikers doing a through hike start in the South. Mm, okay.
3: Yeah. yeah. The stats may be old.
2: But. Yeah. Those my the numbers. <laughs> that was at one time. Numbers, that was people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah. Goals for the future, plans to get back out on the trail, or do you think you'll write any more books? Yeah. You
3: take that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: we are potentially about to embark on a second chat, not chapter, um, project. chapter project, chapter for the lack of a better word, um, in this situation with uh, this book, and so we're working on details right now. It won't be this book, but we've got some other stuff in the works um, that we're hopefully going to be doing. And it's going to be a pretty vast undertaking and it's going to take three or four years and it's going to be, um, it's going to take, it's going to be hopefully be be cool and we'll keep everybody posted on that. We can't talk about it at the moment, but Amber is, is um, prospecting and getting her master's in writing and she is working on a memoir and she's got her own personal writing stuff. Yep. I'm working towards um, becoming a guide. So I'm, I'm running a printing company for us to survive now we had to have like a retreat here at our homestead. Um, we have like an Airbnb that's kind of more integrated than an Airbnb, which is going to be the, a home base for my guiding company. Where actually actually will teach people long distance trekking and do the whole tourism thing, taking people on hikes, teaching them the history of the AT, the Pisgah, all these different things. And I want to p- teach people the technical skills to do this. And um, I'm going to do kind of courses here on the homestead and do stuff in our backyard where people can learn and then also take them out. And this is kind of my long term goal. And so these things are kind of the backbone of what that hopefully will be eventually. And so we're um, working towards that. It's a long-term thing. It's going to be a while, but eventually I'll be able to um, take on some clients to teach them this stuff if they want. That sounds cool.
1: And it's nice because where you're located, you know, you're in the, you know, you said your favorite area to kind of go out is between North Carolina and Virginia. So you're situated in the sweet spot to get people broken in for it. So that's nice.
2: Yeah, and in the meantime, um, Camp Happy Mundo, Camp Happy World. Our homestead is called Happy Mundo. Um, Happy's our cat, Mundo's our dog. And uh, we have Camp Happy Mundo. It is a Airbnb that is all hiking themed and Smokey the Bear themed. It's a great place to come visit if people from out of the region want to come here and be in the heart of Madison County. Um, It's got a creek going around it and a pond with fish in it you can swim in. And it's got waterfalls and a mountain view, but it's like a hundred-year-old home. Um, Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. So if anybody's interested out there, and that'll eventually will be uh, more than just an
0: Airbnb. I'll put the link in the description so yeah. people can find it, and, and also I know Amber, you have a website, and Josh, you probably have a website for your business. We got lots of websites. Actually. <laughs> we'll put them all up so everyone can can find uh, more information. About yeah. All that. Yeah. Especially yeah. also, where to get by the book. Yeah. Anywhere books are sold. You
2: can it. So easy, easy to find for sure. Um, locally yeah. here in Asheville area, we have REI, of course, and then um, Malaprops. Malaprops has signed copies typically.
3: And Bluff Mountain and okay. okay. Do
0: you guys have anything else you want to add before we just officially wrap up or is this something that maybe hmm. we didn't mention or...
3: Normally we have events and other speaking engagements that people can come to backpacking clinics, but I don't think we have anything on the books right now. We're kind of going into our summer of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just yeah. Connecting on the websites, <clears throat> and Instagrams and whatnot. And
2: we'll be doing some clinics coming up here later in the year at Fjallraven and Biltmore village, which is a um, a, a, a trekking supply kind of company um, out of Sweden that are, um, yeah they make awesome gear. And we, We do some long distance. What do you call it?
3: Um, Clinics. Clinics.
2: That was it. Um, Like workshops. And so we have some more. We're actually about to start planning. So if people keep their eye out, there'll be some opportunities to come and learn about long distance trekking. All the little ins and outs and the things you'd never think about. Tips and tricks. tricks, Tips and tricks. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today. It's been so awesome.
2: Thank you for having us, y'all. We really. So much i love it whenever we can actually get into some of the the nerd the nerd stuff behind everything and not just kind of a you know
0: cut and dry cut and
2: dry so we got we got into it so yeah. i enjoyed it
0: oh yeah definitely <laughs> we do too all right so this podcast asks the question what are the many ways in which we can connect with the natural world in this distinct connected society and how storytelling can help us we invite you to journey with us as we explore nature through stories these are the stories from the earth and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us or leave us a voicemail through Anchor. Uh, and you can tell us your stories from the earth, your story from the earth. How do you connect with nature in this disconnected society? How has this connection impacted your life? And also this month's extra podcast question: Have you ever hiked the Appalachian Trail? And if so, what was your favorite thing about your experience? And you can leave your answers on Spotify. And that's this question will only available. Through the podcast app, so you won't see it on the desktop form, um, or you can comment on this YouTube video, or you can send us an email, and then of course we're going to put all the links for uh, Josh and Amber, so you can follow up with them, and you can follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel, a Facebook group, we're on Instagram, and tiktok which is still kind of a work in progress but we're up there <laughs> again we would uh, like to invite our listeners to support us you can go to our patreon page and donate at, donate and that will greatly help us out and also you can uh, leave us a review and a rating on apple Podcasts. and until next time yeah. cool. okay Maybe thank we'll, you
1: we'll uh, see y'all on the trail yeah,
3: yeah. thank y'all Sounds good. all right, all right.
0: bye, bye.